This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. How are we doing? Yes, yes, that was, I'll take it, we'll take it. It was good, it was good, it was all right. Um, It has been a a, a week, a a solid couple weeks for our family. Uh, We've been been through the the ringer um, with uh, various pet trials, uh, a hit and run accident, um, number of things. And so uh, this week has been been something else. Uh, On top of that, the the sermon, the focus this week is Judas, real chipper um, conversation, you know, like, um, but I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to talk about it because the, the, the focus is, uh, is relevant for all of us. Uh, and the focus um, really is, is the game changer, I think, for, for our growth in God or away from God. I, I don't know about y'all. I, I get caught sometimes watching those, uh, what are they called, like just reels, loops of videos. Um, and the... <laughs> Maybe this, maybe this says the kind of character I have. The ones that I really enjoy watching are like the fails, <laughs> you know, where, where it's just, it's, it's impressive when, uh, and I just keep watching them fall or, or get hit. Like one of my favorite ones is this, this kid, I don't know, he's maybe three or something and he goes to the, the, the inflatable thing and it's the like spinning arm. <laughs> And he, he, you know, he, he's, he's not tall enough to make it over in the first place. And so it just hits him and he stands up and it's come back around and it's hit him again. It's just leveling him time. I know it's mean, but it's funny at the same time. I think he walked away. It's fine. Um, but the one I watched recently that, that I thought was great was this, uh, it was these two guys boxing. And one of them was, was young and fit and, you know, put together kind of like some other people like Carson or something, you know, um, I the other one, the other guy was, was old. I mean, he's like, I mean, 60s, right? And he's literally got sweatpants, collared shirt, tucked in, you know? And I mean, whatever hair he had was gray. Uh, and you can just tell, like, he's got probably 30 years, maybe 40 years on this dude. And so the, the young guy walks in, gets his gloves on, and he's, he's kind of like, he's kind of chuckling. And he's like, what, I'm supposed to spar with this dude? And, and so sure enough, right, he, he goes in there and he's, you know, he's kind of like, lackadaisical and he you know takes a couple jabs and the old guy literally goes pop and just like drills him catches him and this guy this young dude is just stunned stumbling backwards and this old man just lays into him lights him up rings his bell and he almost stumbles out of the ring and I was like yes that was awesome Um, but but what happened here right it's a classical case of man he's overconfident Right, he's, he's kind of he's kind of overconfident. Like, all right, really, come on, this is this is gonna take me out. Like, I'm supposed to get supposed to get taken out by this old guy. He probably can't even punch anymore, right? Like, I don't want to I don't want to hurt him. And so he, he comes in a little cocky, a little arrogant, and then he gets his bell rung. Um, and and I think that honestly, that happens a lot to us. I, I know I don't know about you. I, I've never boxed before. Actually, I did do. You ever had those sock and boppets? like inflatable, like they're, they're gloves that you blow up and they're inflatable. The problem with those when you are not five is that you, you box a hole in them real fast and pretty soon it's fist connecting instead of like a big inflatable. Um, that was just, we did that in high school. It was fun. Stephanie didn't like it much, um, but she survived. Uh, and so anyways, I, where was I going? Now I got lost with sock and boppets. Gosh. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So that happens a lot though, right? We roll into something, we're really confident, and we're like, man, I'm going to crush this. And then we end up like failing the test. 
right? Or where it's like, oh, I'm gonna, I can run, run laps around this person and then we get, we get beat. Like we just didn't train for it, we weren't prepared. We were overly confident and then the tortoise comes up and he's just like, boom, blows past us. Now maybe we think it in a relationship, right? Like, like I mean, honestly, I mean, I thought like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush it as a husband. I mean, I thought like I was gonna be the perfect husband um, and I'm close, I'm close to the perfect husband. Um, but come to find out, like I got some flaws, right? I got some work to, work to accomplish here. So there's so many times where we come into something overconfident in ourselves, right? And, and then we're, we're humbled. We're humbled. So what's running beneath that What's bringing us into a situation that's probably overconfident um, is pride, right? Pride within us runs deep, and it's sneaky. And pride ultimately is the root, I believe, of all sins and will be our downfall and destruction when we stand before God or, or even just in life around us. Andrew Murray wrote a book called Humility, um, and, and if you haven't read it, I highly encourage it. We may still have some copies out there. It's a short read, but it, it is powerful. And in it, he says that, that pride is the poison of hell. And he says that all the wretchedness of which this world has seen, all its wars and bloodshed among the nations, all its selfishness and jealousies, all its broken hearts and embittered lives, with all its daily unhappiness, have their origin in hellish pride. That as much as we have pride within us, we have the nature of the fallen angels still lingering within us. Right, Satan was created as an angel. S Satan was an angel, but but pride crept up within him and, and he wanted the seat of God, he wanted the position of God and was cast out of heaven. And so any, any, any ounce of pride within us finds its origin from the fall of Satan. Right, and, and, and it's sneaky, it runs really, really deep. I mean, you think about, think about Adam and Eve. If there was any humans who had the possibility to not sin, it would be them. It would be Adam and Eve. They've got no peer pressure around them, right? Like, like leading them astray. They've got no childhood trauma. They're not bringing baggage into their adult lives or their marriage, right? Like the world is perfect. They've got no stressors or, or weights that are broken. And yet what happens? This, this whisper from that fallen angel, Satan, comes in and says, hey, hey, choose your own way. Exalt yourself. Prefer yourself over the way of God. And Adam and Eve, with no prior, you know, sin that weighs them down, nothing else outside of themselves gives in to that, that root of pride that runs deeply in humanity. And so if we're thinking like, ah, oh, you know, like, I'm not me. I could never sin that way. I'll never fall like this. Look, if Adam and Eve did, like, we're kidding ourselves. And it's pride. It's, it's, it's the root of self-exaltation. It's the root of preferring oneself over others that was ultimately the downfall of Judas. I mean, Come on, Judas is one of the 12 disciples chosen by Jesus. 
Judas saw Jesus walk on water. Judas saw Jesus raise the dead girl. Judas saw Jesus cast out the demons that no one else could cast out. Judas heard the sermon on the mount. Judas saw the feeding of the 5,000 so they could continue to listen to the preaching of Jesus. Judas, in Matthew 10, was given the power of Jesus to cast out demons himself, to preach the gospel himself, to perform miracles himself, right? I think about this, I haven't cast out demons, I haven't performed miracles, yet Judas did, right? Like, pride has the power to destroy even people that walked in the inner circle of Jesus, People that we would look at from the outside, I I promise you, if I see someone in the name of Jesus casting out demons, I'm not questioning their salvation, right? Anybody else? You walk up sick, and in the name of Jesus, you walk away healed, I'm probably not wondering if that person is truly submitted to the way of Jesus. Yet Judas ends his life committing suicide hanging from a tree, right? Because pride runs deep. And if it's left unchecked, has the power to steal, kill, and destroy in this world and for all of eternity to come. And so what I want to do today is just look at the, the scenes of the, the final kind of stories here, the the end of Jesus' life. I want to look at these scenes in Mark 14 of, of where Judas pops in and just allow his tragic life to, to teach us, to open our eyes to anywhere that pride may be lurking and looming in our own lives so that today we can shine the light on those dark areas, confess, and walk in the freedom of repentance, the freedom that, of repentance that Judas never truly walked in. One of the beautiful things of God is that he takes our broken parts, he takes the the evil parts of the world and actually leverages them for good, right? God's grace and, and power is so great that he can take our darkest moments and if we let him, he can actually flip that and use it, not just for like, okay, we, we handled that, but actually then use that for good. Right? How many people's stories and testimonies, the, the, the power of them comes from the, the broken parts first. Right, it's the broken parts that then builds into something great and powerful and, and strong. And so we wanna let God leverage and use what was evil um, even for our good. And so we're just gonna read through these scenes and talk about it um, and, then, and then we'll end just by talking about how, how can we move forward um, in humility, putting to death pride. So we'll start in, in Mark chapter 14, and, and the verses aren't on the screen today, so um, if you have your Bible or your phone, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, if you want to take notes, I'll, I'll give a lot of different um, cross-references and passages that, that we won't have on the screen. as well. Oh, maybe they are. Um, hot dog, look at that. All right. Nonetheless, um, if, if there's not one, just go ahead and take the notes, uh, because I think they're great to refer back to. So Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. Do we have verse three? That's where we'll start, verse three. So as we're pulling that up, um, if you wanna go ahead and look in your your Bible. And while he was at Bethany, talking about Jesus, in the house of Simon the leper, 
As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it out over his head. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about this beautiful act of worship that Mary takes this alabaster flask of, of ointment and she breaks it open, meaning she cannot reseal it to save for later use. She's opening it and pouring it all on Jesus. And she anoints him from head to toe. She, she rubs this oil on him in preparing him for his burial, which is to come. And it says in verse four, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, they were angry. Other, the other gospels tell us that this is Judas says, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given it to the poor, and they scolded her. So we see in this scene where, where Mary is taking a, an alabaster flask of ointment that was valued at over a year's worth of salary. All right, let's just remind ourselves of the beautiful worship of, of Mary. She's not calculated. She's not cautious. She's not logical. She's just pouring everything on Jesus because he's worth it. And, and Judas sees that act as a waste. You see, pride devalues others. Pride looks down on others. Judas is seeing this as a, a frivolous, wasteful action. Jesus is not worth a 300 denarii bottle of ointment. And Judas is, is looking down on Mary and looking down on, on Jesus. Pride finds itself when comparing to others, oftentimes looking down on them and finding themselves as better. I would do that better. I would use this more appropriately. I could accomplish this in a better way. Pride sees itself higher than others and devalues others. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to consider others as more significant than yourself. Judas did not consider Jesus as more significant than himself. He considered Jesus as a means to his end. He considered this action as, as wasteful. In your heart, do you consider others as more significant than yourself? Do you look down on others around you for how they do something, the color of their skin, the money they bring to the table, whether they have money or not, whether they're as good at a job as you, whether they're as pretty or handsome as you. Do you find yourself in your heart comparing yourself to another for various reasons and, and coming out on top? looking down on others. Judas demonstrates pride as he devalues Jesus, devalues the worship of Mary and considers what he would have done as better, less wasteful. We have to watch our hearts. We have to consider others as more significant than ourselves. 
And I love that, that Paul doesn't give a, a qualifier there. Consider others who haven't wronged you as more significant than yourself. He doesn't qualify that. He doesn't give conditions. He just says, consider others as more significant than yourself. Do you find yourself devaluing others around you, looking down on them? It's a heart of pride. It's, it's a root of pride. We also see in this, if we look over to John chapter 12, we see really why Judas was mad about this. In John chapter 12, um, verses five through six, John's account of this, uh, of this event, John records Judas as saying, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas, while he's devaluing the, the, the action of Mary, and he's devaluing the worth of Jesus, is also devaluing the poor. He's not really interested in the poor and giving the money to the poor. He's interested in selling the ointment, collecting the 300 denarii, putting it in their bank accounts, and since he is the treasurer of their ministry, going ahead and embezzling and just taking a little bit whenever he so desires. John records that Judas was a thief. That, that he would just take from the bank accounts the, the, the treasury of their ministry's efforts. Pride will lie and hide sin. What we see in, in, is Jesus is expressing that one of the 12 is going to betray him. They're all like, who? Who's this going to be? They're, they're surprised. Jesus knew, but they didn't know. And Jesus only knew because he's the son of God, not because Judas ever confessed his sin. Pride will, will lie and hide and cover up sin. We'll try to walk in the shadows and tuck this part over here. But it's in the shadows, it's in the darkness, it's in the hiding that Satan will grow a root of pride until it's a massive tree that destroys us. Pride is, is manipulating situations. It is, is wordsmithing events so that, so that you don't see the, the dark spots of a person's life. Is there anywhere, any sin that you're hiding in your life? Is there anything that you have not confessed both to God and to others? First John 5 says that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light, that there is no darkness in God. And that for anyone who says that they don't have sin, for anyone who hides in the darkness, they are not of God, they are not of his ways. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. See, confession is an invitation for freedom. Yeah, there may be consequences that come. There may be pain that comes through the, tr the truth, but there is more pain in the hiding. There's more pain in the darkness. Pride, it, it's continually hiding and keeping back the rough spots, protecting image of what people might think. Is there any sin, anything that you're, you're hiding and covering up and keeping in the darkness? 
it will steal, kill, and destroy. It will rot away from the inside. And the invitation is confession, that there's freedom and healing in confession. I was listening to this podcast that talked about when you verbally speak something, it it moves a thought from the subconscious of the brain to the more conscious of the brain. I'm still learning the brain, right? But, But only then, when it's moved from the subconscious to the conscious, can you actually move forward with it. Otherwise, it just stays stuck in this subconscious part of our brain. That there's healing that actually happens when you verbalize something. It's wild because James says the same thing. You think God knew the brain. There's healing in confession. There's freedom in confession. Pride hides. Pride covers up. Pride twists. Pride lies. And it is to our destruction if we continue to hold on to it. We see that in Judas. And so we have this event, right, where, where Judas is mad because that could have been 300 denarii um, in their bank account, money that he could have taken off the top. Um, and so what does he do in response? Mark 14, verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Pride uses others as a means for our gain. Pride uses others as a means for our gain. Judas was just using Jesus. Not just in this moment, but but the ministry for the three years that led up to that. Judas was just using Jesus' ministry and influence and the, the money that came in for his own gain. And then in this instance, when, when he was done with it, he was fed up with Jesus, he knew that, that the leaders were already trying to kill him. And so Judas is thinking, well, let me get one more score out of this. And he goes to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Hey, what can I get out of this? Before my, my free ticket, my meal ticket runs out, how can I get any more out of this? And Judas is using Jesus as a means to his end. Pride uses others. Do you find yourself using anybody as a means to your end or are, you, or, or are you looking for their benefit, their good, their exaltation? Do you celebrate when someone else gets the promotion? Do you shine the spotlight on someone else or are you using people as a means to your end? Are you using Jesus as a means to your end? Is this encounter just something to make you feel good? to make you feel like you're right, to maybe help cover up the guilt or the shame that you feel, or just using Jesus. I prayed a prayer when I was seven to ask Jesus into my heart. Because I love Jesus? No, not so much. More so because I was scared of dying and going to hell, and Jesus was my way to not go to hell. I, I, I was in effect using Jesus to get heaven and was not so interested in Jesus, which was evidenced in my life because I, I definitely wanted to hold on to this Jesus thing because that's how I got to heaven, but I was really most concerned with living life my way, my reputation, what I got out of life until I was 15, and then I heard God speak to me, and, and I surrendered my life. I trusted my life to Jesus at the time of 15, but up to that point, I was, I was honestly just using Jesus for heaven, 
Jesus was not the treasure. Jesus was not the, the prize. Heaven was. And Jesus was how I got there. For Judas, Jesus was not the prize. The money that came with it was. Jesus was just how he got to it. And so we have to ask ourselves sometimes too, am I, am I using Jesus to, to get some selfish end? Now, yes, there are promises and benefits and blessings on top of blessings. Ephesians 1 says that we have all the, the, the promises or the blessings of the heavenly places are ours in Christ Jesus. Like, I don't even know what that means, but it's like, man, this is gonna be incredible, right? So there, there are blessings that come from following Jesus, but, but those blessings aren't blessings without Jesus. Jesus is the, the prize, is the answer. Heaven is not heaven without Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, is, is this really just a means to my end? Is me following Jesus just a means to my end that's still exalting myself above him? That's still, that's still pride. Judas would use people. Judas used Jesus as a means to his end. And then he sought an opportunity to betray him. Pride actively plots for sin. Sin doesn't start here with our hands. Sin starts here with our minds. Judas hadn't betrayed Jesus yet. We're not in the garden yet. Judas hadn't actually gone through with it, but here he'd already crossed the line. He'd already opened the door for Satan to work. So many times before we sin with our hands, we've already sinned with our mind and we've opened ourselves up for the enemy to come in and just bring destruction. We want to play with fire but not get burned. Pride is actively looking for, thinking about, considering, meditating on sin. Are there any areas in your life where you're allowing sinful thoughts just to hang out and remain? You're allowing lustful thoughts just to hang out and remain. You're allowing covetous thoughts just to hang out and remain. You're allowing untrue thoughts just to come out, come in and remain, and those are areas that, that it's pride. It's actively playing with fire and thinking that it's not, not gonna lead to getting burned. And this is what Judas did. Again, he had not actually betrayed Jesus yet, but in his mind, he was already there. So pride, it's not just, oh, I, I did something prideful, but really it starts here. It's letting it remain. It's not taking every thought captive towards obedience for Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians tells us. We, we preached on that, I don't know, it's been a while now, but about how sin, it starts here, and we have to take every thought captive, every thought that enters our mind. If we act on that thought, does it lead us to obedience or does it lead us towards sin? If this thought this lustful thought would lead towards sin. It is my job to take it captive, to remove it, and to replace it with a godly thought. But if I let it linger and stay, eventually it is going to move me towards sin. And this is what we see with Judas. Pride, it doesn't take sin seriously. And eventually it catches up with them. Are there any areas that you're actively just thinking about, entertaining, fantasizing, that's, that's pride. It's sinful as well. And if it hasn't played out, it's only a matter of time. We have to take our thoughts captive. We have to submit our thoughts to the ways of Jesus as well.
And so Judas decides, okay, I'm gonna go betray Jesus, make a quick buck, and he has crossed a line, the Bible actually says in other gospels, that Satan entered into him at that point. That he opened up his heart, his soul to the work of Satan. And Satan entered into him. And he, he crossed the line. And then we see that Jesus gathers the disciples, including Judas, for the Lord's Supper. Luke records that it was after passing out the bread and the cup that Judas then leaves. And so it's safe to assume that Judas participated in the Lord's Supper with Jesus. It says in verse 17, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Pride plays the role of the hypocrite. Pride shows up to the Lord's Supper, shows up to church, shows up to community groups, shows up to discipleship groups, says the right things when it's time to say the right things, does the right things, looks the part, but then when you flip the page on the other side, they're living a different life. Pride will tell you, hey, you shouldn't do this. Hey, this is how you're supposed to live, but then pride won't apply that to their own life. Pride will give correction, but pride won't be corrected. Pride will see our faults, but won't see the faults and receive the faults in ourself. And so Judas shows up and he, he puts on a mask and he plays the part of, of the faithful follower of Jesus all the while he, he's already committed to betraying him. He, he's, he's living two faces, two lives here. He's sitting at the seat as a friend even though he is the enemy. Pride will live as a hypocrite. Is there anywhere in your life that your, your words aren't matching up with your life? Is there anywhere that you are living hypocritically? It's, it's, it's a mark of pride. And then we see that pride is okay with taking the Lord's Supper in an unpure way. Pride is okay with eating the bread, grateful to Jesus that his body would be broken for our sins, but is okay with holding on to sins behind our back. Pride is okay with receiving the cup of Jesus, thankful, Jesus, that your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of my sins, yet holding on to those very sins that put Jesus on the cross. It's a hard heart and a position of pride to be able to come to the table and to say, thanks be to Jesus who gave everything for the forgiveness of my sins, yet I want to hold on to my sins. Judas was okay with taking the Lord's Supper in an unpure way. He was okay with looking the part and yet not truly laying down his sins. Do you find yourself okay with coming to the table and eating of the broken body and the shed blood and yet still holding on to sins, not confessing them to God, not confessing them to one another. It's, it's a mark of a prideful heart. 
and it leads to destruction. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 11 not to take of the Lord's Supper in an unpure way. That it can lead to damnation, that it can lead to, in this case, it was leading to actual death and sickness. And he's not trying to keep us from the Lord's table. He's inviting us to confess and be free when we come to the Lord's table. To truly celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And so we have to ask, are we, are we taking the Lord's Supper in an unpure way? It's a, it's a mark of pride. The Gospels tell us that, that Judas leaves and then we get to Mark 14 where Jesus had been in the garden praying. His disciples fell asleep. A third time he comes and he says, you know, rise, let us be going. My betrayer's at hand. In verse 43, immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Rabbi is a, a term of respect. It's, it's a term of, of honor and praise of someone. You don't just call someone rabbi, you, you call someone rabbi that you, you lift up and you respect and you, you exalt. A kiss on the cheek is a sign of, of intimacy, of connection, of friendship, of trust. And so Judas as his way of, of handing Jesus over to his executioners, comes in in this arrogant, cocky, haughty way, Rabbi, gives him a kiss, my brother, and steps back as they seize and arrest Jesus. There's an arrogance, a cockiness, a haughtiness to pride. That we can take something that's meant to be a sign of affection, that's meant to be a sign of trust, that's meant to be a sign of, hey, you can let your guard down, and in reality, we're stabbing them in the back with that. Do you find arrogance, cockiness, haughtiness in your life? It's, it's, it's a mark of pride. We think too highly of ourselves, and we walk over others, like Judas did with Jesus, it's, it's a mark of pride. And this is how it ends in Mark. This is all we see of Judas. But Matthew gives us a little bit more of pride's end, Judas's end, the result that pride will always bring to us, and that's destruction. It says in Matthew 27, verse 3, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought within the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this days. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed. 
pride will always have an end of destruction. It may not be immediate. There may be a three-year run of filling your pockets with money. There may be the rest of our life run, but in the end, destruction always comes with pride. And not just your destruction, but the ripple effects will always affect those around us that love us and care for us. Judas, he carried that pride to the end. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6 says that God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. This is not just a, a message for, hey, let's be, good, let's be good church folk. Let's not be prideful. Let's, let's be humble. This is, this is a message between life and death. Eternal life or eternal death. If pride rules us, Jesus doesn't. And the end of that is eternal separation. And even if we've trusted Christ, if we let pride continue to linger, if we're not actively putting it to death, it will still wreak havoc in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so I recall to put to death pride in our hearts. One of the questions that Stephanie asked me this week and others have asked is, well, did Judas actually repent here? Like, did, did Judas, did he repent? Did he, did, he t- did he turn to Jesus? Is Judas in heaven? Right, and I think like initially you'd be like, no, Judas isn't in heaven, but then you read that and you're like, it's, he changed his mind. There was obviously a grief and a remorse here. Did, did Judas repent on the last second, right? Is he like the thief on the cross? The last moment, did he repent? There's been many people in history who on their deathbeds have, have, have given their hearts to Jesus, have trusted and repented. Is that what happened here with Judas? And I would say No. That, that ultimately, Judas never turned away from himself and to Jesus. That down to the very end, he was living life for himself and his way, and he never turned to face the grace of Jesus. The, the Greek word here for changed his mind is uh, metamelomai, which means it's, it's actually a change of heart. It's a change of feeling. That he went from feeling great about the decision to now seeing the effects of his decision and feeling guilty and feeling remorseful. I mean, we see wicked people all the time have remorse over decisions they made. It doesn't mean that they've trusted Jesus. Right, so he felt guilty and he had remorse where the word for repent, where Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe, that word for repent is metanaeo. It means a change of direction. Right, it's a, it's a change of I'm living this way and now I am living this way. And so Judas, he felt guilty for living this way, but he still continued to live this way. He never ran toward the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. He never confessed his sins to, to find forgiveness. Instead, he continued to run and to hide and try to fix things on his own. He tried to return the money to clean up his mess. Hey, undo this, stop it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't do it. it was too late. So he tried the ultimate form of hiding, which is I will just go and take my life and end this, and now I don't have to deal with it. But he never demonstrated a fruit of repentance, a fruit of turning to Jesus, coming to the grace of Jesus. And I think the, the verse that sealed it for me is John 17. 
where Jesus is praying. And he says to them, he says, Father, I have kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So in John 17, 12, when Jesus is praying, most likely in the garden, or one of these last moments, he says to God that I've kept all that you've given me except the one, the son of destruction, who is lost. And so it seems to me that yes, G- Judas had a change of feeling, a change of heart, but he never had a change of repentance where he turned and faced and ran towards Jesus. Instead, he continued to run his way. He just felt guilty about doing it now. And so what do we do with this? How do we take the tragedy of Judas and, and leverage it for good? I think the first thing is to admit our tendency towards pride. We have to admit that pride runs deep. That, that we're far more prideful than we'd like to admit. We're far more prideful than we'd like to think. That, that, that we haven't finished the race yet, that we don't have it all figured out, that, that it, humility is not perfectly ours yet, and we're still a work in progress. If you think you've arrived, that is pride. We haven't arrived. We're not yet in the perfect image of Jesus. I guarantee you, your thoughts are not perfectly in, in, in lifting up and preferring others. And so we have to admit, okay, pride runs deep and, and I am, am chief of all sinners. I am as guilty and, and you know, have a propensity towards pride as anyone. We're, we're not, I'm not any better than anybody else. You're not any better than anybody else, right? If I start to think like, oh, I've got this humility thing a little better than the other person, that's pride, right? Like it, it runs deep. And so the first thing we have to do is admit Right? We have to come into the boxing match and realize, okay, I don't have it all together. Right? I don't, I'm not just going to stroll in here. and No, no, it'll come and knock you out. And so we've got to humble ourselves enough to admit that, that gosh, let me clean up my own stuff before I figure anybody else out because I got plenty of stuff to, to work on. It starts first with us. The next thing when it comes to to being free from pride, to learning from Judas, is to trust and surrender to Jesus. That's ultimately where Judas failed. He never trusted in Jesus. He never elevated Jesus as Lord. He saw himself as better. He saw Jesus as non-essential, as a means to his end. He never saw Jesus as the beautiful son of God, the Messiah who came to take away his sins. He never surrendered in repentance. I believe that in Matthew 27, when Judas had a change of heart, if he would have turned and ran towards Jesus and confessed his sins, I think Jesus would have forgiven him and wrapped him up and brought him in as a son. I mean, you see that throughout scripture. I mean, all over the place. Moses, he's got murder in his rap sheet. David's got murder and adultery and covering up a crime. Paul, he's got, gosh, a lot of murderers. He's got murder. 
I mean, Peter, we're about to see the direct opposite. Peter denies and betrays Jesus, but he goes and runs to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't even bring it up again. But Judas never ran to Jesus. You got the story of Zacchaeus, right, the tax collector. His chief love was money, just like Judas. But what does Zacchaeus do? He sees Jesus, he climbs out the tree and goes and runs to Jesus. You see a life of repentance. You never see that with Judas. The forgiveness of God is enough for you and for me if we trust and repent, if we turn to him and surrender our lives to him in faith. But if we think that we can have both Jesus and our sin, Jesus is just a means to our end at that point. We don't really have Jesus. God says you cannot serve two masters. We cannot live for both God and for self. It's one or the other. The problem with Judas is he never trusted in Jesus and surrendered his life to him. And so pride ruled. If we want a different outcome, we've got to trust Jesus and surrender to him. If you haven't done that, that invitation is now. Right right now, some 2,000 years later, the invitation is still the same, that Jesus, because he is alive, because he didn't stay dead, offers that invitation today. June 19th, 2022 in Austin, Texas, if you have not trusted and surrendered to Jesus, he is alive today making that invitation to you. And when we trust him, his spirit comes and lives in us to transform us for today and for all of eternity, that eternal life with God isn't just one day, but it begins now. If you don't have eternal life with Jesus now, then you don't have it then. And so we trust in him. He gives us that invitation and he gives us new life. But then I I know many of you are Christians, are followers of Jesus. And guess what? We still struggle with pride, right? I, I still want my way over Stephanie's, please, right? I still want my way over my kids. I still want my way over the person that wronged me. So I still struggle with pride. And so what are we called to do? We're called to respond well to the reality that we are still battling pride. That when pride surfaces its ugly head, we confess it. We, We bring it into the light. We own our mistakes, not because we have to be in guilt or in shame. Jesus already paid for our sins. We confess it to get that crap off of us so that we can walk forward in freedom and in life so that we can move closer into his presence. And so the life of a Christian is one that is growing in less and less pride and more and more humility. Not that we're perfect, but if we're growing in Christ, this time next year, June 19th, 2023, we should have less pride and more humility. We're still gonna struggle with it. We're still gonna battle with it, but we're growing in Christ until one day it's perfect, complete in his presence. But we've got to respond well. We've got to own it. We've got to confess it. Be quick to say, hey, I screwed up and I'm sorry. Be, be, if, if you're hesitant to own sin and ask for forgiveness, that's pride. Just looking to steal, kill, and destroy. You're going to mess up in big ways. Respond well. That's the mark of growth. How quick are you to respond well? That's what what I believe God is looking for, not perfection. 
but are you quicker today than you were yesterday to respond well in humility? So we respond well. Romans 13, 15 gives us our next thing, and that's to to put on Jesus, to input Jesus. It says um, to put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. Right, put more and more and more Jesus in, and by sheer like capacity, it pushes out anything else. I, I've made a mess up here before with like water in a jar, right? And it's like, okay, you know, if you're putting something into a jar, you're you're therefore displacing whatever was there. Right, so if I've got water in a jar and I take sin and then I start putting it in there, well, I'm displacing the water so that sin can remain or I can confess my sin, remove my sin and thus make room for more water. Right, we're, we're, we're humans. We're, we're, we only have so much capacity. If we put in more and more and more Jesus, we have less and less and less space for garbage of the world. And so if we want to grow in humility, put in more of Jesus. Listen to more songs that point you to Jesus. Read more things that point you to Jesus. Watch more things that point you to Jesus. Have more conversations that point you to Jesus. Think about lyrics that point you to Jesus. Right? Put in more and more and more Jesus and make no room for the flesh. We input Jesus. And lastly, walk forward in humble confidence. Don't, don't, don't ignore your enemy. There is an enemy looking to devour. That's what the scripture says, looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't walk into the boxing match thinking you got it all figured out. I'm good, I'm never gonna sin, I will never do that, I'm better than this, I've grown past that, I'm so mature now, I read my Bible every day now, right, I'm not gonna stumble this way. Don't walk in cocky and riding high on your horse, right, because that's when we're gonna get knocked off. You walk in with your eyes open, you're alert and you're aware. It's what Jesus said last week, right? Keep watch for the enemy around you. At the same time, you are not defeated. You do not have to sin. If you've trusted Christ, the spirit of the risen Savior is in you. The spirit of perfect humility is in you. It is there for you to walk in. We don't have to walk out of here and be prideful. We can be humble because of Jesus in us. Yes, we're still gonna stumble. We're still in broken bodies in a broken world, but we are far more victorious than we can even imagine. So we walk forward in a humble Confidence. We know that we're susceptible. We know there's an enemy, but we're also victorious because of the risen Savior in us. Don't be like Judas. Don't be like Judas. The path is destruction. Jesus offers you a path of life. Admit your weakness. Trust and surrender to Jesus. Respond well when you mess up because we're going to mess up. Put in more and more and more Jesus and walk forward in a humble confidence. He is with you and gives us everything we need for godliness. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.